basically. Let's go around the horn, and I'll assume if you give me a go, you've got no instrumentation problems. Booster? Go flight. Retro? Go flight. Fighter? Go flight. Control? Telcom? Go. TNC? Econ? Capcom? Go. Surgeon? Go. OMP? Go. AFC? RAO? Go. Network? Go. You got everything up? Hello, I'm Ian Christie, and this is Terranauts. Today we have a bit of a treat on Terranauts. I'm going to be joined again by occasional Terranauts contributor and former president of the Canadian Space Agency, Mac Evans. Um, now, when we left Mac, uh, when last we saw him, he was busy in the Mission Control Center for Hermes, the Canadian telecommunications satellite, having basically just rescued it from an untimely demise. The, that was the subject of an episode called The Flag is a One. You can go back and look it up if you like. Now, that was 1976. Um, today, we're going to talk about kind of a different kind of um, last-minute rescue, uh, one that happened almost 20 years later than that. Uh, but in order to give that some context, uh, we're going to have to talk about, well, let's summarize where Canada is today in terms of a space program so we can understand what happened in the middle. I mean, specifically, let's talk about Canada's space exploration or human space exploration program. In 2023, uh, when we're recording this, Canada... Uh, was uh, a founding member of the International Space Station and has been a participating member ever since. We've provided robot, robotic arms to both the space shuttle and the ISS, and we've sent astronauts both to the shuttle and the ISS. And in fact, a Canadian has actually commanded the International Space Station. Most recently, a Canadian was named to the crew of the Artemis II mission that is scheduled to take humans back to the moon for the first time in almost 50 years. Uh, but none of that was really true in 1976. In fact, if someone had stopped you, Mac, on your way out of MCC that day and told you that a Canadian astronaut would end up traveling to the moon, eh, like ever, uh, you might have said that at the very least they were pretty optimistic, if not out of their minds. Uh, so what were Canada's ambitions in space in 1976 as we were getting the communications, telecommunications satellite on orbit? Well, hi, Ian. It's great to be back again. And yes, you're absolutely right. Things have changed dramatically over the, the 20 years or almost 30 years from, from then. So in 1976, we did launch CTS and your listeners will recall that that was the most powerful communication satellite ever launched. Yeah, pretty much the first modern telecommunication satellite, the first one that kind of looked like the ones that came after it, really. That's correct. And so it was on, It was doing its experiments, uh, and, the, and the satellite was being operated um, from Shirley's Bay. In the, in, around about that time, um, in fact, just a bit before then, in response to, to an invitation by the United States for international partners in the upcoming shuttle program, Right. And this is, by the way, before the end of the Apollo program, NASA was inviting international partners for the shuttle program. Oh, okay. And, the, and so Canada was looking at this, in particular, NRC was looking at it. And so were some Canadian industries. And we looked at, they looked at what was um, sort of missing on the shuttle program essential and they lobbed they, they latched onto the the arm concept a robotic arm on the shuttle 
right. to be able to deploy and retrieve payloads from the shuttle bay, which was, by the way, a, a part of the initial shuttle design, but the Americans had dropped it for cost reasons. Oh, is that right? Yes. All right. And a couple of companies in Canada, Spirospace and DMSA at CARM, had been working on robotic technology for fuel re refueling can-do reactors. Oh. <laughs> so they latched up and said, well, why don't we use that technology on the shuttle? Right. And that's how it started. NRC um, took the program under their wings. They set up a project office. And in fact, they signed an MOU with NASA in 1975. Okay. For our participation in the Canada Arm program. Okay. And, and NASA did end up calling it the payload deployment and retrieval system. When I worked there, it was called PDRS. No one ever called it the, uh, no one ever called it the Canada Arm uh, at NASA anyway. Um, okay. So, so by the time CTS launched, not when we started CTS, but by the time CTS launched, we had identified Canada Arm as kind of being the next thing that Canada, or, and the big thing that Canada was going to do uh, with NASA, but we didn't have a space agency at that point. Right. No, we did not. And and so the arm flew in in 1981. Yes. And was a tremendous success. Uh, it had its first operational use in 1982, actually de deployed and retrieved something. And as a result, NASA, by the way, this was Canada's contribution to the space, to the space shuttle. Yes. So we provided the arm to NASA. Yes. Uh, in return, they agreed to buy four others from us. Okay. And eventually, they, they decided that it was working so well that they invited us to have Canadian astronauts fly on the shuttle. And that happened in 1982. The invitation came in in 1982. When you say we provided, uh, that's uh, government speak for Canada paid for the arm. That's correct. <laughs> Canada okay. paid the arm, gave them the first one, and they ordered three or four others. Okay, okay, uh, which they paid for. Okay, but they also paid in in terms of giving us the opportunity to fly space uh, astronauts on the space shuttle. That's correct. That, so that came as an invitation, and and it was accepted by the government of Canada that we would do right. this. Right. And there was this incredible. There was a small problem of us not having any astronauts. At the time that they made the offer, though. <laughs> That's correct. So NRC put together a very uh, extensive and it turns out to be a very uh, efficient and effective process for selecting astronauts. We selected six out of, out of, out of, right. uh, of 4,000 people who responded to an ad in a newspaper, astronaut wow. wanted. Wow. Wow. And the original six... Uh, one of them was Mark Garneau, and he was chosen to be the first to fly. And he flew, so he was he was told that he was going. He was he was uh, chosen to to fly in in 1983, and I think it was like six or seven months later he flew. Rapid time turnaround right. for Mark. Right. He had to learn a lot. Right. So he flew in October of 1984. That was Canada's first flight, okay. and and it came directly and and, and as a direct result of our participation in the space right. shuttle program with the Canada. Right. Okay. So, but by, by then, by the time we'd flown the arm and we'd flown our first astronaut mid eighties timeframe, um, we'd be safe to say we're, we're kind of trying to figure out what's next. Right. 
Well, yes. Yeah, so there was something in, in the government called the Interdepartmental Committee on Space, which was all the space-oriented departments uh, had to go through this committee to get their particular program approved by the right. government. And so there were three big programs all at the same time. One was space station, one not space station. One was the shuttle, one was RadarSat, and one was a, a communication satellite called MSAT. And they were vying for for uh, priority within the government financing. Right. When the invite for the astronauts came, um, and then eventually uh, this was still going on in in uh, in 1984 when. United States, the president of the United States, yes. made um, the internet, the, the space, the U.S. space station program, the center part of his foreign policy, right. and he wanted to show the, as he called it, empire. He wanted to show the evil empire, which is the Soviet Union, yes. uh, that. The Western way of doing space was more attractive than what the what Soviet Union was doing. Now the Soviet Union had a space station and they were flying astronauts from all, all sorts of eastern countries. Oh, okay. okay. So the US, this is a bit of a space space, a mini space race. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. So you know, in the same way that they started planning shuttle before the end of Apollo, they started planning a space station really barely once the shuttle program was even flying. And so this was Kind of presented to Canada as a way to get in on the ground floor of the next big thing, I guess. That's correct, and and you know it sounds um, disjointed, but it wasn't. I mean, if you take a look at what they were trying to do, they they built this the ability to go to the moon and on to Mars starts with the shuttle. Then it comes to this permanently manned space station around the Earth. Right. Now it's, it's we're eventually getting to the going back to the moon again. Right. So. Um, but, but the big difference, the big difference for the Amer sorry, the big difference for the Americans was that you know they'd gone to the moon by themselves. I mean, there yes. was no there was no international cooperation in Apollo. So this this was actually a bit of a departure for the it was a huge NASA. departure from NASA's way of doing business. Um, but it's very important to understand what follows in our story here. It's very yeah. important to understand that this was a politically motivated decision right. to invite international partners to participate in the US-led space station program. It was, a, it was a foreign policy initiative of, of Ronald Reagan to make sure that happened. And it, it, um, it changed the way NASA does, does business. And it, yeah. it um, really made it, it was, I, I watched this happen. It was difficult for them to make the changes to allow these international partners into their management. Yeah. Uh, well, we talked about it a little bit more from the from the closer to the sharp end a um, year or so ago. We had uh, uh, had a series of episodes uh, called "Just Call Me Robo," where we talked to uh, Canadian uh, flight controllers who actually work in mission control now, and how different that is now that it's become an international program. So that's interesting to see this already starting back in the 1980s. Um, and, and so, yeah, th this was not about science and technology. This was about about uh, diplomacy really and and i mean literally i don't know whether there was any informal approaches but the formal approach to canada was literally from ronald reagan to brian mulroney right eventually that's it. well yes uh, brian Mul and, um, ronald reagan made this the center pitch of two g7 summit meetings 
Right. And they had a model of the space station. Doesn't look like the current day space station, but right. the dreams that people had for a space station back then was it was a model. He and all the other leaders, the G7 leaders, stood around this model. Reagan asked them to, to, to join. And eventually, our prime minister, Brian Mulroney, in 1986, uh, announced that Canada was going to join Space Station. And those days, it was called Space Station Freedom, right? And it was called Space Station Freedom because we were showing how the free world was going and, to... And well, this was before the fall of the Berlin Wall. So, um, so we agreed to do uh, Space Station and that. Um, uh, and so what did we agree to provide? How, how were we going to be a part of Space Station? So NRC had been, uh, you know, were the natural leaders in this had done the Canada Arm program and uh, they had done a lot of work uh, with various NASA centers, particularly Johnson Space Flight Center right. on follow on robots, which we now call Canada Arm uh, to on the space station. Okay. And so we were, NRC had positioned Canada so that we were ready for an announcement that we were going to participate. And um the so negotiations took place. Uh, there were technical discussions. There were semi-political discussions because many congressmen thought the United States should do the robots on, on space station. And Canada thought otherwise. And so we argued and I spent a fair amount of time in Washington arguing with congressmen and their staffers as to why it was best for Canada to do the, the robotics. And eventually they decided that Canada could do the robotics. And it's a very important decision because it, amongst the partners for the International Space Station, yeah. providing the robot Canada M2 to the International Space Station was the only mission critical component of the International Space Station provided by anyone else than the oh, United so, States. So we could have built the whole space station if the Europeans or the Japanese or somebody had dropped out, but they couldn't build the space station without Canada. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. No wonder that took some discussion. Um, but, but, you know, domestically, when we agreed to do space station, did we have a, a space agency by then? No. So what followed next as part of, um, of this process in Canada, uh, Prime Minister Mulroney approved that's joining this, uh, the space station program in 86. He also announced later on that year the government's intention to create the Canadian Space Agency. Right. Prior to the space agency being uh, created, the government space program was run by the various departments. So we had the Department of Communications worrying about satellite communications. Right. We had Department of Energy, Mines and Resources worrying about Earth observation. You had NRC, NRC doing science, doing Canada Arm, doing the astronaut program, right. and various others. So there had been quite an outcry from the industry, in right. particular, because, and, and all of that was coordinated by an intergovernmental committee, uh, interdepartmental committee, which you know everybody knows is an extremely efficient way of running a government <laughs> program, right? Well, they had they had, by the way, they, the Interdepartmental Committee on Space had been run, had been chaired and run by the Department of Communications yes. until 1978, 79. And the government decided that they, you couldn't run a, 
the Internet Department Mill Committee by one of the proponents. So they yes. transferred ownership of the Internet Department Mill Committee to the Ministry of State for Science and Technology. Ah. Uh, and so, so that's where the ICS was run from, and that's right. where um, all of this work leading up to the Canadian Space Agency took place. It was the, actually Ministry of State for Science and Technology that okay. submitted the proposal to the Prime Minister for the creation of the Space Agency. And, and how were you involved in all of this? Well, I had, um, I worked at, on the CTS program for the Department of Communications. I worked downtown at their headquarters for a couple of years, uh, dealing with Canadian content and Telesat Canada procurements. And then I left the DOC on the recommendation of John Chapman, by the way, saying, look, if you want to influence how and what Canada does in space, you, you, you need to leave the Department of Communications and go to what's called a central agency in the government of Canada right. and the Ministry of State for Science and Technology was considered a central agency. So I competed for a position in Moss, I won the position. And then when they decided to move it to Moss, then it was a natural fit for, because of my space background to, to take on the role of, of chairman of the ICS. That's, and that's, so, so you were actually chairing that committee when all of this was happening. That's true. And I was the one who authored the report to, uh, to the prime minister for the creation of the space agency. And no doubt you were also trying to figure out how we were going to help uh, the United States build a space station at the same time. Yes. And that's another interesting thing that uh, happened as well. Um, NRC having done the Canada arm the astronaut program and done all the the work for um, the arm on on the space station yes. with the creation of the, of the Canadian Space Agency all of that came into basically um, um, the leadership of MOST because the, the MOST was seen as the place where, where the, the policies were going to be right developed. and and so I ended up also being the uh, program i don't know what the title was but i was the lead on, on space station negotiations with the united states so you were negotiating time. with your own government to create a space agency and negotiating with foreign governments to create a space station that, that sounds like it was enough for one person to be doing Mac. yeah well i didn't do it myself you know <laughs> we had other people at moss and and the nrc people um um, well, I think they probably would have preferred the whole thing to stay in, in NRC once the space agency no announced. They became very good uh, partners in this and helped tremendously in doing this. Wow. All of which, though, is to say it was pretty heady days for people. Uh, it was not yet. I don't, you know, I remember those days. Uh, and, it, it, you know, space was not, I mean, everybody was very excited about Mark Garneau, but but I don't think that Canadians had adjusted to the idea of Canada as a quote unquote spacefaring nation at that point. It really was a point in time when we were kind of, um, you know, creating that. So I think it must have been heady days for people who were in the in the middle of it. Um, you know, it must have really felt like like we literally were taking off. And I'll tell you an interesting side story here about that. Yeah. <clears throat> and that is the. NASA sent the invite to have a Canadian astronaut fly. They sent it through to NRC because that's who they'd been working with on the right. on the arm for the shuttle. And the NRC created a, um, a memorandum to the minister who looked after NRC 
uh, who also happened to be the minister who looked after the Ministry of State for Science and Technology, yes. recommending that the government accept this offer and create an astronaut program. The minister at the time had just transferred from Treasury Board, and he was used to cost-benefit analysis sure. and all the works that net, all that sort of analysis behind the, the, any new programs. And he sent them. He sent them the memo down to us in, in the ministry, saying, "You know, where, where's the cost benefit for this astronaut program?" Right. <laughs> and and I happened to you know we had weekly meetings with the minister, and I happened this happened, and I happened to say to him, "I said, sir, do you realize what this is? This is Canada having an astronaut corps." we will be part of the exploration of space. Right, right. And, and all the benefits from that, with the pride it generates in the, in the country, the, the interest that it'll create in, in kids going into science and in STEM, you know? Yes. And, and he said, oh, yeah, I get it. So he signed it right away. You know? <laughs> Without the cost-benefit analysis. Right, right. So you're right. It was, it, it was a big step, a huge step. Yeah, yeah. And I don't... Politicians realized that. You know, even I didn't even realize until sitting here talking to you, because, you know, I, this is certainly within my living memory. And when I remember back to my impressions of, you know, Canada and the space program in 1980, 82, that's very different than today and certainly even very different than 20 years after that. We we really kind of grew up as as at least, you know, as they say, as a spacefaring nation. I mean, right now. You know, I, I, I don't think it's a, that I don't think it's wrong to say that there isn't anybody who would think about starting a major international space project, certainly not human exploration project, without at least calling Canada and saying you want in. That's true for the Western world, as we call ourselves. Now, China, of course, is proceeding on its own. Well, but yeah, well, China doesn't call anybody. But uh, but I mean, you know, pretty much everybody that's been part of the international space effort, I mean, you know, the Russians included. Assume that Canadians should at least be asked if they want to participate. Assume yeah, that Canadians yeah. have something to, to bring to the table. And there is a side story here, too. The, the Japanese have an arm on their module. Yes. And um, the CSA sent people to, were, were asked uh, to send people to Japan to help them put in place the, the, their, their, uh, their arm and the training right. of the astronauts on their arm. So we played a significant role in the Jap so that you did that's exactly the point you're making people came to us and asked us yeah yeah but they, they wouldn't have done that in 1986 that's, yeah uh, so so what happened uh the the time that we want to kind of roll forward to is is um you know uh the mid 1990s 1993 ish and a lot of things changed uh between 1996 and 1993 not the least of which was uh the berlin wall came down uh, you know, the end of the Cold War, that little thing. Um, you know, how did things change in terms of the space program between 1986 and 1993? Well, the first thing that happened, of course, was the signing of the MOUs and the IGAs. And sorry, uh, and an IGA is, is IGA is the inter so the MOUs are, are between NASA and each of the partners. So there's an MOU between NASA and Canada, NASA, ESA, NASA, Japan, right. NASA. Russia. Okay. And the intergovernmental agreement is a government to government agreement uh, at a very top level uh, documenting our participation in this program. Right. It is a treaty level document, and okay. that's very important. 
in what happens in the future here. Yeah, and and so treaty means something very particular to people in the yeah, there, there diplomatic are each, world. Each each country has a very significant uh, and extensive process for ratifying a treaty. So yeah. while we signed the IGA in 1986, the treaty wasn't. Um, hadn't gone through the approval processes for two or three years later. So it's an extensive process. Right, Treaties right. are not something you you sign and forget. No, so you negotiate them amongst your amongst the negotiators, but then they have to go back to the governments and be ratified before they're they're formally in place. And that That's actually great. took a number of years afterwards. Yeah. When it, it has to, we have to go through the House of Commons, it has to go through the Senate. Right. So it's quite a quite an extensive process. Right. So once you have one of those in place, you don't go abrogating it um, without thinking very carefully about it. Then. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> well, you shouldn't. Okay. So uh, that's sort of late. So late 80s, we, we get the IGA. Yeah, so that's the, the IGA and MOU were signed in 88. The treaty probably came okay. in in, I don't know, 1990, 91. I don't know. Right. You're right. Uh, in 1993, the evil empire had collapsed. Yes. Um, Ronald Reagan was replaced by Bill Clinton as the president of the United States. Right. So we're, we're in 1993 and the work started in at least 1983 on space station. The U.S. and its partners had spent billions of dollars and nothing had been built. Right. And because they're continually redesigning and, and, and whatever. And so when Clinton came in, and of course, his budget people would say to him, look, they've had this, this massive program. It's been going for sure. 10 years. Nothing's been built. We put people and, on and, the moon and, in less than that time. Yeah, yeah. And, and the original rationale for it is now gone because yeah. we don't need space station freedom anymore. No. Right. So Clinton comes in in the March and in January of 93, right. new president of the United States. And in March, he orders another redesign a space station this time to reduce costs okay so that set up the very famous project uh, program management process at wrestling in virginia and all the partners participated in that and there was a redesign went on where um the united states was incentivized to reduce its cost as much as possible but when you say all of the partners you mean all of the all of the international partners that signed the intergovernmental agreements. Well, so right. it's an international review of space station. That's correct. We were all part of that. Right. Um, so then there's uh, the regular budgetary process in the United States. Um, yeah. which, is, uh. which is there anything regular about the budget? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, <I> just... <laughs> it, it, it's significantly different from ours in yes. that in our system, once a program is approved, if no one stops it, it carries on. Right. In the United States, every program has to be approved every year. So it takes a positive action. So this came to a vote. The appropriation for NASA came to a vote. Right, because approval of the budget is different than appropriating the budget in That's the US. True. Right. You yes. first they approve to spend the money and then they agree to what to spend it on. Is that yeah. a fair summary? Yeah, there's 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 there are two programs, but uh, two two committees that has to go through. One is the appropriation. Right. And one's the authorization. Right. So it was in the appropriation process, I believe, 
in the House of Representatives in the United States, right. where, the, where the appropriation of money to NASA for space station came to a vote, right. and it passed by one vote. Good gosh. So, um, and we knew this was coming, by the way. All the international partners knew this was coming. NASA knew this was coming. Sure. And so there was a massive international effort by Japan, ESA, and Canada to try and convince legislators in the United States that this was an important international program governed by a treaty that they shouldn't just walk away from. Right. right. Got, so the, the whole process resulted in the space station being approved by one vote. So that's in June. Russia's but it was yet. a but it was a significantly different. Like this is when we first went, we went from space station freedom to space station alpha, if I remember right, and that eventually became the ISS when they invited the the Russians into it. Is that we're somewhere in the middle of all of that mess, right? So that they, Russia was invited to join the space station in October of 1993. So okay. So just two or three months after the space station survived sudden death yeah. and the vote in the U.S., it has been invited to join the space station and its name has changed from freedom to the International Space Station. Okay. Okay. So quite a different world in six years. That's right. And, and, and just to finish that story yes. about the Russians, remember that this program was started by Ronald Reagan to show how the evil right. empire, how we could do better than the evil empire. Right, right. We eventually invite the evil empire into the program. And the first element that's launched for space station is the Russian element from Kazakhstan. Yeah, I, I remember because I was a part of that mission. Um, so, um, okay, so that's what's going on in the US. It basically hangs on by a thread uh, in the, the spring of 1993 in the United States. And meanwhile, back at the ranch in Canada. Ranch, we have a new prime minister in November of 1993. Okay. The, the Christian government um, replaces the Maroney government. Right. And his mandate, clearly in that election, was a mandate to cut government debt. And his, his finance minister was Paul Martin. And massive cuts all across the government were the order of the day. And they, in their wisdom, decided that we would withdraw from the International Space Station. So sometime between November and December, the government decided that that's what they were going to do. With oh. Canada would withdraw from the space station. Okay, folks. Well, I know that's a little bit of a cliffhanger on which to end uh, this episode of Terranauts, but we're going to have to finish that conversation with Mac and find out how Canada didn't actually leave the space station program, but that's going to have to wait until the next episode. So for now, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Come on, let's keep the chatter down.